Welcome to another Deep Dive with History Files. This is our second installment for a comprehensive look at the apartheid era in South Africa, with a special emphasis on the more intricate facets like Bantustans, South Africa's dance of diplomacy, or lack thereof with neighboring African countries, and finally, the reaction of the international community. Apartheid, which translates to apartness, went beyond racial segregation. For nearly half a century from 1948 to the early 1990s, it dictated and disrupted countless lives, sowing seeds of division and resentment. At the forefront of this force was the South African police. The police, especially the notorious Special Branch, didn't just uphold the law. They actively participated in enforcing racial segregation. From policing pass laws, where black individuals were regularly detained for not having the right documents, to brutally suppressing protests, the SAP was omnipresent and omnipotent. But the repression didn't stop at routine policing. The SAP also had specialized units, including the riot unit, which was trained specifically to suppress uprisings and protests. Their methods, often violent. Rubber bullets, tear gas and batons were commonplace and lethal force was not uncommon. A particularly dark chapter in this narrative is the covert operations spearheaded by the state. In the shadows, the South African government had units operating undercover, targeting anti-apartheid activists. Many activists were harassed, detained without trial, tortured, and, in some unfortunate cases, even assassinated. One of the most covert, and arguably the most feared among these, was the Civil Cooperation Bureau, an off-the-books unit of the South African Defence Force. The CCB was responsible for eliminating anti-apartheid activists both within and outside the borders of South Africa. Speaking of the Defence Force, the military played its part too. While their primary function wasn't internal control, as apartheid grew unpopular globally and resistance increased locally, they were often deployed internally. The military was frequently used in townships to quell protests, often resulting in high civilian casualties. Outside the borders, the South African Defence Force often carried out raids in neighbouring countries, targeting what they believed were ANC bases. These operations not only strained relations with neighbouring states, but also terrorised civilians in the region. Beyond the physical violence, the psychological warfare was immense. The mere presence of armoured vehicles, frequent roadblocks and midnight raids created an atmosphere of perpetual fear. Moreover, a vast network of informers meant no one knew whom to trust. Now, for those unfamiliar with the term, let's unravel the mystery of Bantustans. Picture this, territories designed specifically for black South Africans. Sounds like a gesture of goodwill. Unfortunately, that was far from the truth. These Bantustans, often located in remote or less fertile regions, were part of a strategic plan to concentrate black South Africans into designated areas. This allowed the apartheid government 
to claim that black citizens had their own territories and to strip them of South African citizenship. The intent? To render the rest of South Africa white. A couple of these Bantustans, like Transki and Bophuthatswana, were declared independent. However, this independence was a facade. Internationally, they remained unrecognized, isolated, and dependent on South Africa for economic survival. Zooming out from the internal structure, let's discuss South Africa's stance with its African neighbors during this period. Given its policies, it's hardly surprising that South Africa was the black sheep in the African family. Many African countries were vehemently anti-apartheid, offering refuge to activists, supporting resistance movements like the ANC, and imposing sanctions on South Africa. The Organization of African Unity, the precursor to the African Union, was particularly vocal in its criticism. However, South Africa, with its military might, wasn't one to stay quiet. The country frequently launched attacks into neighboring states, especially those believed to be housing ANC activists or bases. This aggressive stance made South Africa a pariah, often at odds with its neighbors. We've discussed the internal dynamics of apartheid and how South Africa's neighbors reacted. Now, it's essential to understand that apartheid didn't just make waves in Africa, it sent ripples across oceans, stirring responses from nations far and wide. The 1960s marked the beginning of heightened global attention, especially after the tragic Sharpeville massacre, where 69 protesters were killed. This brutal act was a chilling reminder of the regime's ruthlessness. With growing awareness, the international community gradually started to distance itself. The United Nations, for one, was quite vocal. In 1973, the General Assembly adopted the International Convention on the Suppression and Punishment of the Crime of Apartheid, defining it as a crime against humanity. And let's not forget the countless UN resolutions condemning the apartheid system. Sporting boycotts also played a significant role. South Africa, with its rich sports culture, especially in rugby and cricket, faced isolation. The country was barred from the Olympics from 1964 to 1988, and many nations refused to play against South African teams. Another critical aspect was the economic front. With international pressure mounting, many countries and global corporations began to divest from South Africa or impose sanctions. While debates continue about the efficacy of these sanctions, there's no denying the symbolic significance and the pressure they placed on the apartheid regime. Artists, musicians and writers from around the world also united against apartheid. Songs like Sun City by artists united against apartheid or Baiko by Peter Gabriel resonated globally, further educating the masses and spotlighting the cruelties of the system. However, it's crucial to acknowledge that the international response wasn't uniform. Some nations, particularly during the Cold War era, were reluctant to sever ties completely, seeing South Africa as a bulwark against communism in the region. As the 1980s rolled on, 
global anti-apartheid sentiment intensified. Rallies, protests and campaigns, particularly in places like the United Kingdom and the United States, showcased the world's solidarity with black South Africans. This global movement, combined with relentless internal resistance, eventually contributed to the system's downfall. By the early 1990s, apartheid's walls began to crumble, culminating in the historic 1994 elections, where Nelson Mandela, once an imprisoned freedom fighter, took the oath as South Africa's first black president. Thank you for tuning into this second installment of the South Africa Apartheid series.